0: recording we're, we're good. good we're good we're good can you hear me scott can you hear me i
1: can't hear you. i can't you're coming in loud and clear
0: are you are you bitter that i talked about star trek on the mocking cast when i sat in for you are you bitter
1: you should say come in reliant this is our uh, regular one come in this is reliant that's from uh what is that from that's from star trek 2 although there is some talk like that in star trek 3 because there is um i think what ship is that Oh, sorry. I'm lost. Yes, I'm a little bitter. I was... Yeah, he's got
0: all the Star trek coming out because uh, I sat in for him while on vacation, talked about Star Trek. He listened to the show that he usually sits in on, which is The Mocking Cast by Mockingbird Ministries. You can find it at mbird.com. But Scott, yeah, you were sitting on a beach wondering about Star Trek all alone, all by yourself.
1: And let me just say, I uh, I was thrilled about the content of the show. You did a bang-up job, and I've gotten lots of feedback on it. it. It has all been exceedingly positive. So for that, sir, I'm in your debt. Even though you guys talked about Star Trek, still, Wrath of Khan is cinematic. Just, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a cinematic ambrosia. <laughs> it's <just> the, ne- <laughs> the nectar of the gods. The nectar of the gods when it comes to sci-fi movie. Well, we're not here to talk
0: about Star Trek. Scott is sitting in. Scott Jones is sitting in for Dave Fitch. I sat in for him, but now he's sitting in for Fitch because Fitch is in sunny California, hanging out at Fuller Seminary. Don't worry, we're still connected to Northern Seminary here. We're about to kick off our own semester in about two weeks. But Fitch is out there, and Scott, can you believe this? You know what he did? He called me this morning. He called me, and he's like, I'm bored. I'm bored. I, I just called you because I'm bored.
1: Oh my gosh, Fitch. <laughs> I know. Fitch, I believe- where are you? come in, Fitch. Where are you? Did they let Neo-Anabaptists just run around Pasadena, like, you know, unmonitored?
0: Oh yeah, everybody's welcome there. Everybody's welcome in California. Is, he, just, to is color- he
1: accosting, like, you know, Constantinian paganism?
0: <laughs> Probably. So, but today we're talking about, we're going to shift. We're going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, so last week... Dave and I talked about evangelicalism and uh, some of the, the three different views of evangelicalism. And actually, and you, and you admitted
1: week, you were never been an evangelical.
0: Yes, I drop, I dropped the bomb there that I, Fitch, had never been evangelical. That even Billy Graham himself was never probably an evangelical. But I need, I need to redeem that kind of drop there, that mic drop. Uh, and I'm going to do that next week. Dave and I are going to be on next week with a kind of a world evangelicalism. And how we can think of uh, the past, the present, and the future of evangelicalism all together for those of you who are interested. So, that'll be coming up next week. And then, in two weeks, a week after that, we're going to be talking about God as our Father and whether we could or should still speak that way. So, all of you listeners, stay tuned. Subscribe if you're not subscribed so that you don't miss any episodes. So, that's what's
1: coming up next. You ain't uh, nothing. Next couple weeks. If you don't that's have right. That's your called the Christianity Mission. That's right. Thank you, Scott. So, but this these week we're going to be talk- These two guys at Northern Seminary are making evangelicalism great again, and you can be a part of it. <laughs> so, this week
0: we're going to be talking about the beginnings of theology. Uh, Scott, you jumped in a couple times this summer, and we talked quite a bit about uh, theology. We're going to do that a little bit more today. Uh, we're going to be talking about, and Scott, you're going to be part of the inaugural theology gone bad contest hashtag theology gone bad. So, we're going to get to that near the end of the episode how you can enter that contest to uh, get in on a couple weekly or monthly prizes. And then the grand prize is coming in December, which is a signed copy of Dave Fitch's new book, faithful presence, as well as a guest spot on this very show. So listen for all that at the end of the episode. So Wait, have you
1: ever seen the movie, the fly with Jeff Goldblum?
0: Uh, I did a long time ago. I was about to go work- into another movie, but what tell me about the fly.
1: Well, he's working on teleportation and like, You know, he has two telepod units and a fly gets into the telepod thing and basically it's kind of like the Star Trek transporter it disassembles the DNA and reassembles it in the pod but it merges with the fly because it doesn't know what to do because the fly like buzzed in. So I was wondering what if you could get Trump and Fitch in this (laughs) teleporter and you could have like making Evangelical like here we are, no more Christendom it's going to be great, there's going to be no more Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas is going to be banned, Uh, you know First off, no one will be able to read the Bible privately, only in Eucharistic assembly, making Christ <laughs> present. There's no more individual evangelicalism. We are going to make evangelicalism and a Baptist and great again.
0: Oh, I like this. Maybe this is going to be our next uh, our next uh, contest. Will be a mashup of Fitch versus Fitch and Trump, or we could maybe do another segment instead of Fitch versus Fitch. We could do Fitch versus Trump. Ooh, you're a, you're a, podcasting genius here Scott
1: Man, all right but our topic today' great
0: again <laughs> that's right so our topic today is the beginning of theology where does theology begin and how does that matter for mission for discipleship what goes into our theologies and really uh, I and I know Scott is a we're a f- fans of what might be called systematic theology although systematic theology kind of gets a bad rap these days it's kind of like if I could quote Morpheus from The Matrix. Actually, I had this old man moment. I was talking to a high schooler uh, a couple years ago, and I was like, yeah, you remember The Matrix? And he was like, well, I've never watched The Matrix. I was like, dude, until it made me feel old. Anyhow, okay, The Matrix. Remember these famous lines from Morpheus?
1: The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy.
0: When you're inside, you look around. What do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers,
1: carpenters the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it.
0: Now, Scott, systematic theology is just like this, is it not? It's a system that binds us to ideas and ruins us, for any kind of real mission. Is that not true? Have you heard these things?
1: Yes, and it's true. And so we're gonna be quiet now and end the podcast. We're making no! evangelicalism great again. Yes. No, I have heard that and I think it uh it's generally uh i I, I find it's it's a criticism I'm not sympathetic to. All right, but let's fill out the criticism first. So, from Sarah Coakley's uh,
0: excellent, wonderful book, we've mentioned it many times on this podcast God, Sexuality, and the Self by Sarah Coakley. She talks about three different critiques that we should be aware of when it comes to systematic theology. There's the critique of knowledge, sometimes it's the, the onto theological critique offered by people like uh, Martin Heidegger and others, and that's the idea that we can't ever fully know God, that God can't ever enter into language, that all of our language is inadequate, and so therefore, systematic theology is idol-making. The very project is idolatry. So you've probably heard this. The second critique is a critique of power. This is the totalizing critique, so it's a shift from knowledge to power. This is offered by someone like Foucault. That knowledge is always just some sort of ruse of power, that there's somebody in control manipulating and suppressing other voices and then dominating the discourse. So that's a critique of power. Then there's the feminist critique of the body offered by people like Rosemary Rathford uh, Ruther, that theology is ordered around a male mode of thinking and forgets the gendered body and things like that. So there, And I think those criticisms stick, right, Scott? I think there is something to that, that sometimes at its worst, systematic theology can become this... Uh, uh, desire to know all things, to master God, a desire to be powerful like God, and a desire to suppress kind of our body and especially the feminine. Uh, and so I think there is there is something to those critiques. Maybe that's not what people had in mind. There's also the narrative critique, which came up, uh, which comes up quite a bit, which is that systematic theology destroys the story. Have you heard that one, Scott?
1: I have heard that. And there is a book, I think it's an, uh, oh, geez... Who's the woman that wrote the book, God is Not a Story.
0: I don't remember, but I do remember that book.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very serious scholarly book. But let me just say, I I don't want to know everything. I don't want to be that powerful, and I'm not. And I like my body. I've even posted vacation pictures because I work out. I'm very sensitive to embodied reality. And you know what? I like to tell a good story. So I feel like I'm impervious to all these critiques.
0: Just like Sarah Coakley, you have a way out. You're impervious. Very. I good. Had met
1: Sarah Coakley, by the way, and spent a little bit of time with her, not a lot. But, she's a wonderful she, person. She is delightful. Uh, she is uh, once once in a while. If you hang out with enough theologians, you'll meet a Christian. It's rare, <laughs> very rare. But she is. A, I mean, she's a delightful person.
0: Excellent. Well, so so these are the kind of the critiques of the system. But I think, just as you said, they don't always stick. And I think good theology is humble and it's. Uh, understanding of what could be said, it's open-handed in the things that it offers and it's not grasping after power, and it does, it seeks to do justice to uh, men and women um, and our full kind of embodied self. And so the system, the matrix, does not have to be oppressive. But if that's the case, where do we begin? How do we begin our theology? Now, do you want to do, you want to throw something in there about where do we begin or do we want to go to the people, Scott?
1: We begin at the beginning. We Which is Facebook. Which is Facebook, exactly. In the beginning, everything is, in the beginning there was Facebook. In the
0: beginning was Facebook and Twitter. So let's check it out. I threw out this question, where do we, if you were to start a systematic theology for fun, where would you begin? What term or topic would you begin with? And I got a bunch of answers on uh, Twitter and Facebook, which were super interesting. Some said human experience of suffering. Others said we should start with the Trinity and therefore God as love. Others spoke about Christology or how do we know things, epistemology. And then uh, we got doxology, which I thought was really good. Theology all begins in worship. We got eschatology, which is the opposite of you, Scott. You said we should begin with the beginning, but actually other people say we should begin with the end, the end in mind. Where's this all going? Where's the story going? Then we got anthropology, image of God. Someone said the Eucharist. That was a Northern student. Going to give props out to Brandon there for saying the Eucharist. Fitch would have loved that. Uh, and the kingdom of God. So we got all these different starting points for doing theology. But Scott, in your view, what does it matter where we begin? Why does it matter where we begin our theology?
1: Well, it is interesting because where I'm partial to the eschatology answer is I think that, like, you ask any good planner, like, how they plan things. And I'm not a great planner. My wife's a very good planner. But people that are, like, let's say you're planning a party, you think about the moment that let's say it's a surprise party which I did plan pretty well for my wife last year for her birthday but maybe a surprise party this year but it's not a surprise if I announce it on the podcast but if you so you imagine that moment where they walk in and there's the surprise and then you think who's there and you think what's the food what's the convivial beverages what's the dessert and then you think how do you, you know where do we come from where's the dinner reservoir? and you work back to the evite you know like in that sense so i think on some level you know that's I like beginning with the end in mind. The telos, as they say. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, let me, can I quote Schleiermacher on this podcast? Is that allowed? Is Fitch going to say, I mean, gosh, I'm gone for one week. And we're quoting experiential expressivist Christendom liberals.
0: He was the height of a Christendom liberal. So, but yes, we'll permit it. Or I might edit it out. We'll see. All
1: right. So the first, like, or actually the 11th thesis in Schleiermacher's which is translated, it's faith teaching or Christian faith. Christianity is a monotheistic mode of faith, the piety of which is teleologically oriented. So he's like, hey, you know, the object of faith is monotheistic, it's God. And, and there's a telos to it, like it's going somewhere. And he thinks that's the kingdom of God. It essentially distinguishes itself from other such faiths in that everything in it is related to the redemptive or to the redemption of, accomplished through Jesus of Nazareth. So that might be a teleologically end in mind starting point. So the redemption
0: of Jesus. The redemption accomplished
1: things. through Jesus.
0: Yeah. Oh, the he's, redemption. He says
1: that, that's, that there's a telos, it's the kingdom of God. And in addition to there being a telos, because you could have, you could you could be, I think he's thinking you could be a Muslim or a Jew, and be a teleologically oriented monotheist, that, that you believe in one God that's distinct from the creation, and but and yet related to it, and intends history, our stories, you know, the world to go someplace. But he's saying what, what essentially distinguishes it, so it's not a relative distinction, it's, it's a really important distinction, what essentially distinguishes it from other such faiths is that everything in it, every single thing in it, So, so whether it's your understanding of baptism, your understanding of how someone goes from not having faith to having faith, whether it's your understanding of what a sacred text is, everything in it is related to the redemption accomplished through Jesus of Nazareth.
0: I like that. Actually, you know, for, I don't, you know, I have not read anything from or about Schleiermacher, except for you are always going on and on about, but I like that. I like that quite a bit. Um...
1: He wasn't evangelical.
0: (laughs) Or was he? We'll have to talk about that next week. Charles Hodge,
1: Charles Hodge, one of the deans of 19th century Calvinism, which your neo-reformed listeners, of which, I mean, they are legion. Uh, Hodge took a sabbatical to to go do learned things in Germany, and John Nevin took over his courses, I think, during that time. And he was terrible to Nevin later, but we shall forgive Hodge for that. But, when he came back, he worshipped at Schleiermacher's church, and of course, when he came back to America, people were, like, "Well, we hear Schleiermachers, you know, maybe taboo." And Hodge said, "I'm sure he'll be in heaven because the Scripture says anyone that reveres Christ as God is saved." And I've watched that man sing the hymns and worship. Ooh,
0: nice! Well done. Well, I really like that. So I want to, I want to, I'm going to put that on the on the side here. Redemption. Of Jesus or brought through Jesus is the beginning of all things, and I uh, I want to kind of distill the list from Twitter and Facebook and other places that I was looking into roughly three categories. So uh, of beginning theology, and then we could talk about why is it important uh, to begin there or not begin there? What are the implications for those beginnings? Uh, and again, this is kind of uh, kind of big picture. But while I was uh, kind of thinking about this episode, where does theology begin? Is you kind of get three general uh, beginning points. One is truth or knowledge or something like that, is we need to first establish how can we know things. The question is, how do you know something? This is a question of epistemology. And so a lot of systematic theologies will begin with uh, the category of truth, and it generally goes to... Uh, revelation, right? So then you have concepts of either general revelation or special revelation, general revelation being creation and natural theology and the things you can know about God that way. Special revelation being uh, the revelation of the word given in scripture, ultimately in the Son in a special way or something like that. And it's usually trying to establish um, kind of standards of knowledge and truth or something like that. Uh, And if you start, but you can go all sorts of different ways with that, right? So you can have a much more conservative view or a liberal view or an enlightenment view. And it all depends on what do you mean by truth or rationality. So uh, you can go a bunch of different ways with understanding that. So that's truth. Who would you put in under the truth category there Uh, or the revelation category, Scott? Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. He's a a truth. Are you sure? Is he not more of the liberation side? He was going to get to my third side. Is this a
1: safe space? (laughs) <laughs> Can I express myself? Are you no, judging no, my answers? I want to keep going. No, the tr- I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the truth. Although, that's hard to say. I mean, because those things, you know, they're pre-modern forms of that. They're modern and probably All right. Well, we don't have to attach names. to it. These are just forms. general
0: kind of views. Dave Fitch.
1: I'll attach Dave Fitch. Okay. He's it's, a truth it, that's
0: Dave Fitch. He was a modernist. He talked about epistemology last week. So the second grouping, I think I would say, is love or relationship um, or community. Uh, So a lot of them, a lot of uh, different people and theologians will start with the community of God in the Trinity or the love of God in the Trinity um, or humanity and divinity uh, relating to each other and how that all works. And so this becomes like a key concept or motif, as some other theologians talk about. Actually, Stanley uh, Grenz talks about theological motifs and community is one of them, Trinity and community, and his third one's eschatology there. So that's the second one. So there's truth and there's love, but I also think there's like salvation or some would say liberation or as you said, redemption. And so there's like there's a sense that, well, there's a conflict going on. Theology has to name the conflict. Um, and so it's either eschatology, which is, well, this is going somewhere it needs to be changed or it's liberation. We're saved out of some situation or it's redemption and something like that. Uh, now that one, again, can be pretty broad too because you could have like a, a real personal view of sin, or you can have a real social view of sin. Maybe God is upset with your private deeds and, uh, there needs to be some sort of forgiveness usually are the terms or atonement or there, or God's really upset about the whole state of the world. And there's a public view and maybe he's not that interested in you as a person, but he's really interested in, uh the whole world being saved or something like that. So I think there's these roughly these three kind of places that people would generally start love and community, truth and knowledge or some sort of liberation and redemption. Would you add one to, am I missing one? I'm sure I am missing one. I'm just painting in broad categories. Would you add something there, Scott, or comments?
1: Making evangelicalism great again.
0: No, stop it. Stop going to evangelicalism. You know, Didn't it's, it's interesting.
1: Of- it, it's interesting. Cause I think Tim Keller in several places in his preaching module and in Writing about like Presbyterian divisions has said. Now he's talking about evangelical Christianity, but I think you probably find this in broader sectors of the church. He said, you know, there's a group of people out there that are kind of doctrinalist Christians, right? This maybe is your truth kind of category, and they are concerned primarily with you know with doctrinal statements and and right theology and right and everything. You get the theology right, you get the rest of it right. Then he says there's another group called the devotionalists, and maybe this corresponds to your love thing. And they are people that they come around when Christianity becomes moribund and pharisaical or nominal. And they generally preach the adoption of free grace, sonship, knowing God personally and as opposed to apologetics and systematics, they do a lot of counseling ministry and prayer ministry, and revivals happen from the devotionalists. And then he thinks there's the cultural transformationalists, and they come in your kind of Dutch Calvinists redeeming all things. They come in your anti-right liturgy-oriented communitarian kind of group, and they they think that theology is about this cosmic kingdom and the reconciliation of all things. And Keller says, you know, they're all inter, they're all pericoretic, as they say you know, that they've interpenetrated. He says, look, you could start preaching uh, from Galatians in either of these places. You could start on the finished work of Christ. And you say, how do you know that's, you know, what? Well, does it matter anything if you're not crying Abba to the Father, fo- if you're not free from that message of Christ? And how do you know you're free? Well, do you feel the need to play um, ideological games with, you know, the opposite gender or other races and that sort of thing? Or he says, you could start with you know the cultural transformation, the ideology stuff, and say, "Hey, you know, we're in a place, and, we're, and this is really time in America. We're more divided as a country than we've been in a while. Well, what do you do with that? Well, here's you know, uh, if you want freedom from that division, uh, there's a way to sort of get over the isolating, dehumanizing things, and it's freedom in Christ. And how does that come through? the finished work of the redeemer and vice. I mean, you could, and Keller's point is you could start in any of those places, as long as you're able to supplement one with the other. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there's something like, there's probably a little bit of truth to all of the things you just said. And this is why there's like 14 clubs in a golf bag. I mean, you want every shot you've got, you know, with every club you've got. Absolutely.
0: Well, I really like that from a uh, Keller, that's uh, the doctrine, the devotional, and you said the transformational, and that is kind of the sense where you focus on truth, what is right. You also need to focus on the individual, or you said even piety or devotion, uh, and your own individual renewal, but then there's also the social transformation. And I think if we were to go into our little uh, hashtag there, theology gone bad, I think theology goes bad when you have one of these that doesn't uh, take a turn and round out, be rounded out by the other two. And so when you have doctrine for doctrine's sake, then uh, you believe God is most concerned about uh, what you know or what you believe and what you hold firm. And then you have to fight to uh, make sure that people believe the same things that you do. Uh, If you're more on the relational side or the devotional side and the pietistic side, then uh, maybe you want to focus on love. Uh, Maybe that uh, you feel that God is most concerned just about you or who you are or what you've done. Uh, and you lose track of maybe the kind of the sense of truth, which is beyond just you and what you experience or know, or the sense of transformation, which includes uh, the whole world. Or the last one is like transformation or liberation or uh, the whole the whole cosmic kind of redemption. When we focus on that too much, then oftentimes we feel like the burden is on us to change the world, that uh, what we do in our own lives and our own little uh, uh, discrepancies or uh, sins and things aren't that big a deal. We let be, we become lenient toward ourselves um, or sanctification and holiness kind of go out the door. Um, and so I think, I think you're right. I think all these things need to be kind of held together. Now, with saying that, that these three aspects could be held together, is there still not a place to begin theology or could you just begin anywhere?
1: Well, I think there are different places you could begin. I mean, I think there are lots of different places you could begin. Like if you, you know, Paul Tillich in *The Courage to Be* says there's three forms of root anxiety: in the fear of death, the fear. That's another of, liberal theologian. See all exactly. these liberals that God's bringing. It's the in. liberalism hour here when Fitch is gone. It's the, I, I believe every word that i Nicene Creed. My, I, my Bible has a—I don't have a cheap bonded leather, leather Bible. I have a Cambridge Real Leather.
0: Oh, Real so Leather. So you have evangelicals, okay,
1: you check how seriously you take your Bible. If you're buying bonded leather— Do you I underline your Bible? I, you, well, I do. I do all sorts of things. All right,
0: good. Okay, good. So what about Tillich like, there?
1: Tillich says, you know, there's three forms of root anxiety. There's the fear of death. There's the fear. There's the you know, anxiety of guilt and not measuring up, and then there's meaninglessness. And he thinks that, like in the patristic period, it's mostly fear of death, fear of non-being, which is why theology really centers on Bethlehem and the empty tomb. In the medieval period, it's mu- there's you know you, you have the sort of tradition descending from the Roman legal system and other things, and there's lots written on this. Really reductionistic, but and Augustine's legacy, and you get more attuned to moral failure, and that is a problem, and you get much more developed theology of the cross. And he thinks in modernity, it's the fear of nihilism, and you get Jesus the prophet in Galilee. And I think that any of those starting points could get you to the other two. If you stay in one to the exclusion of the other two, you don't have Christ fully as the redeemer. You need him as prophet, priest, and king. You need him as king over death, priest as mediator that can bring us back from our exile east of Eden. And his prophet that can show us, you know, the, the light of the life of love and, and our way back and, and what redemption, what the inner contours of that looks like in our souls. So I think, but any starting point that's rooted in the full orbed person of Jesus will get us there with a little bit of grace. Absolutely. Excellent. So where does where does this leave us if this podcast is called
0: Theology on Mission? How do these different starting points and how does the need to integrate Um, a full orb theology. How does that affect mission? And I would say that if you uh, start in one place and don't work your way to the others, I think over the long term, your mission will be hindered because you're going to have a lopsided mission that is going to be separating kind of the full humanity from the full divinity and work of God. Um, It's separating out maybe concerns for truth and doctrine from personal practice, from social transformation or uh, bold witness. And so all those things need to be held together. And so if we start with one place and maybe it's by temperament or theological tradition, if we start with revelation or truth and things like that, we must always be sure to be keep pressing into, uh, not just doctrine, but the practice and even the love of all people. And if you start with love you know, we or relationships, we always need to temper that with uh, love and the reality of who God really is and not just the relationships we'd like him to be and that uh, love should be transformative. And if we start with transformation, we always need to be sure that we're not just... Uh, working to change things, to change things, and that our mission can just be so outward that we're no longer, in a sense, connecting with God. How, you know, I know a lot of people who are so interested in transforming the world that they no longer have a relationship with God. And I feel like that is a theological as well as a practical problem.
1: Yeah, I think that I would say the first practical advice I could give is find a gracious irritant that, you're, uh, that you know uh, relationally and one maybe that's dead that you know is some, some find somebody that can be a really gracious irritant somebody that you're friends with in a tradition that's a little distinct from yours a little different from yours but you see the semblance of real fruit and faith in, and 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 engage that and find somebody that's one of their dead friends in the faith and engage that or even a live friend of the faith but one that's sufficiently dignified like Fitch. So
0: if you are a typical Anabaptist you know, could you find a couple of Reformed friends to learn from? If you're a Reformed read person, yeah, if you're a of the Reformed traditions, whether it's Baptistic or Presbyterian, could you even find a Pentecostal, Amos Young, to uh, read and learn from? Or if you're you from uh, the Pentecostals, like, could you be reading the Anabaptist? So should we be reading across lines? You know, you know what would be equally valuable as reading books from the past? Reading books from the future. Because they're from a different context, too. We could. Be, this goes right, circles back well, to, our, back to the science that's fiction.
1: Biff, that's what Biff did. I mean, Well, Biff read from the past, but I mean, if we could, exactly. if well, we could this get is, from the few.
0: This was uh, C.S. Lewis's On the Value of, of Reading Old Books. And he said, you know, you read things from a different era because uh, they kind of group concepts together differently. And in our era, maybe these two concepts are opposed. But, you know, 100 or 1,000 years ago, those concepts weren't opposed. And then he says, he throws out, well... You know, reading books from a 1,000 years into the future would be just as valuable to our uh, broadening of experience, but we just don't have access to those yet.
1: Not yet. But we will in the kingdom of God. Perhaps. And also we'll know if professional wrestling was real and why they changed the Coke formula in the 80s.
0: (laughs) Professional wrestling is real. So, hey, so uh, this was kind of, in one sense, a giant tease for different ways theology can go bad. And we're starting a new contest Called uh, Theology Gone Bad, hashtag Theology Gone Bad. And so, what this is, is it's going to be a weekly kind of contest where each week you all will submit uh, different uh, entries based on the theme of the week um, on Theology Gone Bad. Uh, and then, Dave and I, each week we will pick the best three, the ones that we, for whatever reason, you know, in our infinite weirdness, we pick top three, and those will be qualified. There'll be weekly qualifiers for a monthly prize, which we'll be sending you a bunch of awesome books. And then actually those people who've been qualified will be entered in for a grand prize, which is to sit in with us for an episode of Theology on Mission and to get a signed copy of Faithful Presence by Dr. David Fitch. So the rules, uh, well, I kind of explained some of the rules, but the way you enter is we have a Facebook page, Theology on Mission on Facebook. And so each week the theme and the Theology Gone Bad post we pin to the top and so you can add your thoughts and comments there. Or you can enter via Twitter by hashtag Theology Gone Bad at the beginning of your statement and then just throw it on there. It could be a link or it could be a video or just a statement or something like that. And then you'll be notified about your uh, prizes in the same manner in which you entered. And so we'll be picking the most interesting and creative entries each week. So this week, Scott, we're going to start. Are you ready? We're going to do a softball. So we're going to do a softball. So theology gone bad. Uh, The theme of this first week is it's kind of an easy one. So it's it's worship music. Theology gone bad around the theme of worship music. So we're going to put that on Twitter. We're going to put that on Facebook. Please enter uh, via Facebook and Twitter and uh, give us your best Theology Gone Bad concerning worship music. Any last thoughts here, Scott, before we wrap it up?
1: Jeff, I have nothing else to add to your eloquence.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Scott, for stepping in. He is the gracious host of The Mocking Cast for Mockingbird Ministries. He also has his own podcast, The New Persuasive Words. Thank you, Scott, for joining us. If anything here has been helpful, stimulating, thought-provoking, could you please uh, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of our other provocative and stimulating uh, conversations? Please uh, write us a review, maybe even positive. I stole that from Scott. I'm learning from you, Scott. Maybe even a positive review um, on iTunes or on other places where you listen to us. And otherwise, uh, We'll be back next week talking more about world or global evangelicalism and how, uh, if there is such a thing. And then after that, we'll be talking about God as our Father. So this is Jeff Hulsglaw and Scott Jones signing off from Theology on Mission from Northern Seminary.